0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Let us remain standing and we will read our scripture together. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33 and we're continuing in our series um, about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband this is the word of god for us the people of god let us pray god we thank you we thank you for your faithfulness for your love god you are worthy you are worthy of all of our praise god we thank you for this local body of christ and and how you are moving through us and working and being glorified. God, we we ask that you would open our ears, our hearts, our spirits to what you want to speak to us individually today. And we we pray for Pastor Chris and ask that your Holy Spirit would, would give him a fresh anointing this morning, that you would um, help all of his thoughts to be clear and... Holy Spirit, that you would guide him as he preaches. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Well, I want to begin this morning with a question. I just want you to consider this. What is the ultimate purpose for marriage? Assuming a biblical worldview, what is the ultimate purpose for marriage? We know there are many different types of of benefits for marriage. Um, For one, we know that marriage is actually good for the happiness of individuals. Those single people, this is very important, can live godly, full, and purposeful lives. There are many benefits to marriage, such as greater accountability, the help of navigating through tough situations such as illness or loss and other difficulties, there is sexual fulfillment, there is companionship, just to name a few. Dr. Keller points out in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which by the way, I highly recommend, that during the last two decades, research evidence shows that people who are married consistently show much higher degrees of satisfaction with their lives than those who are single, divorced, or living with a partner. So we know that marriage is good for the individual. And I just want to say one more time, make this really clear, that if you are single and you are in Christ, as a matter of fact, Paul says this is a really good thing. You can be happy. You can uh, be fulfilled. Your life is not dependent on a spouse uh, you know, to complete you. No, Christ completes you. But marriage is helpful to individuals. We also know that marriage is good for the family. Keller goes on to point out that research shows that children who grow up in married two-parent families have two to three times more positive life outcomes than those who do not, statistically. Marriage is also good for the community. There's a focus on the family article. It's entitled, Why It Matters. And I believe they're on point when they assess that the institution of marriage is foundational to the fabric of society as it supports the children and the family, which then support all other types of social institutions such as government, education, religion, and economic systems. So we know marriage serves individual needs, family needs, social needs, but none of these point us to the ultimate mission of Marriage, And before we look at that ultimate mission of marriage, I want to look first, if you're taking notes, uh, for, at the ministry of marriage, the ministry of marriage. And by the way, I apologize that I do not have notes for you today, but it's for good reason, and it goes with my sermon. I, did a ma- ma- I performed a, a marriage ceremony yesterday, and so time did not lend itself to my notes this week. So I want to talk about the ministry of marriage. When I say ministry, I'm talking about the God-given Call to a husband and wife to serve one another. That's what I mean by ministry. It is very popular today to go into marriage with a me mentality. And this has been birthed out of this Western individualism that we've talked about over the last several weeks. Many go into marriage simply looking for sexual fulfillment, security, financial gain. The list could go on and on. And ultimately, A lot of people go into marriage thinking, man, this is going to be really good for me. And that's the only reason they want to get married. Are there individual benefits? Absolutely. But if that's the only reason you're getting married, I believe you're in for a disaster. On the other hand, this is interesting. There are some individuals who go into marriage with the opposite attitude. They actually love how serving makes them feel. This is... Um, One of the meanings of one of the old words, vainglorious. We don't use that word often, but you might, this is in a sense vanity. You like the way giving makes you feel, thus you have a hard time receiving. And I would just challenge you, that is not fair to a spouse because the Bible declares it is more what blessed to give than to receive. So if you're one of these people who says, oh, I'm going to do everything for you, honey, and that sounds really, really noble, that's great but you cannot do anything for me. There's nothing I need. I'm independent. You're causing your spouse to miss out on a really great benefit. So both of these extremes, I believe, are really unhealthy. Listen, marriage only works when both husband and wife know who they are in Jesus Christ, and the relationship becomes this healthy balance of giving and receiving, of serving and being served. This is the type of submission and servanthood the Bible calls us to. So here's the ministry of marriage in a nutshell. The husband and wife are both called to imitate Christ, yet in different aspects. This is radical, by the way. What I'm about to say, the only way it can happen in a really God-honoring way is when both parties are full of. Of the Spirit. So if you missed week two of our series, go back and listen to it. Paul uh, talks about in chapter 5 that we are to continually keep on being filled with the Spirit. Because only Spirit-filled people, only people who walk in the fullness of the Spirit... ...can do what the Bible calls us to do in this way. So we're going to begin by looking at the responsibility of a wife in Christian marriage. This, by the way, has been a passage that's been really profanely, I'll say, taken out of context through the years. It's been used to wrongly promote male chauvinistic behavior and even abuse. And God forbid we turn the Word of God into something like that. So let's begin. We'll talk about the role of the Christian wife, and it is simply this humble submission. Humble submission. Go back to verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now if we're going to properly interpret this passage, we must first consider what we talked about in week one, namely that men and women are equally created in the image of God. How many believe that? We talked about this in week one where we looked at the creation account in the book of Genesis and we find that God created both male and female. He blessed both male and female. He spoke and gave commands to both male and female. And He gave dominion over the earth to both male and female. We also saw in week one that God created male and female uh, very distinctly. Thus, gender roles are not incidental. Gender roles are not incidental. God has a role for wives and he has a specific role for husbands. And if we hold to a biblical worldview, hear me, these roles are non-negotiable. This is not a popular message today. But these, if we hold to a Christian worldview, this is non-negotiable. So a Christian wife is to imitate Christ in humble submission. So the question is, is, how did Christ demonstrate humble submission? Well, Paul tells us this in Philippians 2 and verse 5. He writes these words, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's talking to all believers, not just women. Who, though he was in the form of God, talking about Christ, so he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is and always has been an equal part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yet, in great humility, he came into this world to be born in the likeness of man as a Jewish baby. And friends, he was obedient to the Father in humble submission, even to the point of death. That's incredible. That's humility. This is the way in which a wife follows Christ in her marriage. She is an equal with her husband in the eyes of God. Do not miss that. Yet, humbly, she submits to her husband's leadership, and I should say his Christian leadership, as long as the husband is following the Lord, and she does this for the glory of God. Now, a woman is not to submit to all men. This is a call for a wife to humbly submit to the God-given authority of her husband as he follows the Lord. Are you with me? A husband and wife, here's kind of how this works, are to work together to manage their home. All right, this is not a... Relationship where the husband just doesn't include the wife and just makes all the decisions financial, spiritual, everything. Hey, here's what we're doing with the kids, here's what we're doing with the finances. That would not fly. And I would just add our homes would probably be disasters because, women, we need you, right? Each person should always be heard when major decisions are being made. Each opinion should be valued and considered. And ultimately, though, here's the thing I want you to, to get this God holds you. Husband responsible for the leadership of that home. Now, a godly wife, according to the last verse in this chapter, should respect the God-given headship role of her husband. There's nothing more frustrating for a husband who is really trying to follow the Lord to have his wife not gladly follow in that direction. But the kind of leadership the husband is to provide is not some kind of tyranny or oppression. It is a lot different than what we see in the majority of homes. So number two, let's talk about the role of the Christian husband. And here it is, servant leadership. Servant leadership. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her Because we are members of his body. Now ladies, if a husband loves you in this radical way, would it be hard to submit to his Christian leadership? Shake your hat at me, right? No. We don't see this kind of servant leadership often in the home anymore. We don't see any level of, of uh, you know, this kind of servanthood in, in most homes. I love what the... Uh, the late Wayne Smith said this, he said, If a man opens the car door for his wife, you can be sure of one thing, either the car is new or the wife is. That rings true, doesn't it? We are called husbands to love our wives. Servant leadership means a husband is to love his wife, both in declaration and, hear me well, in demonstration. And all the lady said, all right. We can mean a lot of things when we talk about love. You know, I, I've used this before, but, you know, I, I say all the time, I love Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. And I say, I love my wife. Now, obviously, I do not love those two in the same exact way. I love Chick-fil-A much, No, I mean, I, mean I love my wife much more than Chick-fil-A, right? So there are many different things that we mean, even in English, when we say love. We throw that word around like nothing, but in in the Greek, the ancient Greeks had at least six different words for love, and the Greek word used here is the word agape, very familiar Greek word to us. Agape is a selfless love, all right? C.S. Lewis said it is a matter of will, not emotion. So this is not just a feeling kind of love. You sometimes can't control your feelings, but this is a Decision kind of love. It's a a matter of will, not emotion. Romantic feelings. Married people, you can attest to this. They come and go. But this kind of love, agape love, is stable because it is a decision, not a feeling. Agape love means this. Hear this. You act loving even when you don't feel particularly loving. Think about that. Agape love means you act loving even when you don't feel particularly loving. This call to love is a command. Jesus is not commanding you to feel a certain way. He's commanding you to do something. In action, men, we are to love our wives. You can't command feelings, but you can command actions. Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage... I think he (laughs) says this so well. He says, without a shadow of a doubt, you will fall out of like with your spouse. You will fall out of like with your spouse. But you have to be loving even when you don't necessarily like it. Amen? But here's the really great news in this. C.S. Lewis believed this, and I, I think he's right on when he says that when you act loving, you actually begin to feel loving. So it's the action precedes the emotion. We sometimes tend to wait till we feel something and then we act. But friends, if you will act loving, those feelings will follow. C.S. Lewis, uh, I read through a um, transcription of the uh, a radio broadcast that he was on. Uh, and during the war or after the war, the Christians were asking questions like this. How are we supposed to love our enemies like Christ calls us to? Namely, the, these Germans who have been so horrible to the Jewish people, our brothers and sisters. And C.S. Lewis said, if you will begin acting loving to them, you'll be surprised how quickly you'll actually, by God's grace, start to love them. He said, actually, the opposite is true. He said, do you know and think about this? He said, during the war, many of the Germans had no beef with the Jews. But they were told to do acts of hatred towards them. And in obedience, when they did those acts, they actually began to feel a deep-seated hatred more and more for the Jews. So this goes either way. In your marriage, if you act hateful for your, t- towards your spouse, there is no path for a peaceful marriage for you. No joy is going to hit your home until you learn To act in faith like you don't feel. You remember the covenant. I I was uh, privileged yesterday to perform a wedding right on this platform to Alex and Loretta Tanner. Beautiful wedding. And I told them yesterday, listen, you will fall out of like with each other. I said that same quote. But I said, when you do, you go back to the covenant and remember, I'm committed to love this person in action. No matter how I feel. And the great thing is, again those feelings of love will come back. Those romantic feelings, they will come back. They will if you will act loving. So let that be encouragement to you today. Now this love that husbands are called to is radical. Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. This idea of sitting on the couch and having your wife wait on you hand and foot is not the image that we see here. A husband is called to sacrificially love his wife as Christ has loved the church. Which begs the question, how did Christ love the church? You know the answer. He literally gave his life for the church. Ladies, I would say again, submit to you that if your husband loved you as Christ loved the church in declaration and in demonstration, he doesn't just say, oh baby, I love you while he's not helping you at all, that's not the love we're called to. But if he loves you, lays down his life, his preferences, his comforts, everything for your betterment, how many could get on board with that humble submission? Amen? A husband, he says, is to love, Paul says is to love his wife as his own body. He says we, are, we nourish our bodies, and that's, friends, what we're supposed to do. To our spouse. We men, we're supposed to nourish and cherish our wife. You know, the, the uh, vows yesterday were not just, you know what, I'll stay together. And I, even if I'm miserable, I'm just going to stay with you and grit my teeth and bear it. No, the, the promise is this. I'm going to love and cherish you all the days of my life. That's a serious covenant. And only with the help of God's grace, only when we're full of the spirit, can we live that out, walk that out for life. So this is what the ministry of marriage looks like. A husband loves his wife with selfless acts of service. And the wife, in turn, humbly submits to the Christian leadership of her husband. Together, they labor to make their marriage a joy. Now, these marriage, these husband and wife roles are non-negotiable for the believer because... They demonstrate, they point us to the ultimate mission of marriage. This changed my marriage. So I want you to get this today. What is this mission of marriage? Look at verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Matter of fact, can we put that on the screen if you have it? um, Ephesians 5.31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Just pushes us back to the creation account in Genesis. Verse 32, this mystery, Paul says, is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul calls this a mystery of marriage. What what is that? What does Paul mean here? The mystery is the plan of God that has been hidden, but now has been revealed and fulfilled through Christ. This is exciting to me. Do you know that there is a mystery to the prophets of the Old Testament that you and I now know revealed through the New Testament writings? This is incredible to me. We are created as human beings fundamentally in the image of God to display His glory. Remember the book of Psalms that says the heavens uh, declare the glory of God. So when we look up uh, on a clear night and you see the, the glory of the, the, the moon and the stars and the planets. I even have this little app that Randy Rosenbaum showed me that I can see all the names of the stars and the planets that, you can, that are visible from here. And I mean, it's amazing when you look up at that in the vastness of the universe you, you look up, and, and why all of that? If this is the only inhabited planet, why all of that? It, the Bible tells us it's to declare the glory of God. And I love what Piper says. It's a vast understatement to his magnificence. It's incredible. When people look at us as Christians, we are supposed to display the glory of God, just like the heavens declare his glory marriage is one of the means of doing this can single people do this absolutely there are many ways you can display the glory of god but if you are married the ultimate marriage the ultimate reason for your marriage the ultimate purpose for your marriage are there individual benefits yes are there family benefits yes are there social benefits yes but ultimately your Aim ought to be to point other people, including your children, if you have children, to Jesus Christ. This month, I had the, the privilege of officiating two different weddings, and uh, I was supposed to have a third one, and I j- just couldn't make it work. That's a lot of weddings in one month. And when I am the presiding, presiding minister, I get the unique opportunity of standing just a couple feet away from the married couple. And I get to see, you know, kind of the goosebumps, and, uh, uh, I mean, just the look that they have when they say their vows. The tears swell up in their eyes, their hands shaking as they stand before people. And it's just a a glorious thing to be able to get. I, I feel like I have kind of the best seat in the house. And I can't help but think of the joy that we will, those of us in Christ, will experience one day when the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, will come back and be united with His church. This eternal union, that is the ultimate wedding, will be actualized. It's going to happen. What a glorious thought that makes all other weddings, even the royal weddings, pale in comparison. This will be the ultimate wedding, and this is what earthly marriage is supposed to point to. That means that husband and wife roles should not be determined by culture, but rather by the Creator. See, when we don't get this right, marriage is not doing what it was intended to do ultimately. So in closing, let me just say this. I begin this series by talking a little bit about how marriage is viewed in our culture. There's a very low view of of marriage, right? I mean, we've lost the sacredness of marriage. And I believe this, church. We must, as a people, redeem an understanding of the seriousness and the sacredness of marriage. So to the husbands, let me say this. When you sacrificially love your wife as imperfect as she is, you are declaring to the world... Christ's covenantal love for His church. Wives, when you respect and humbly submit to, your, to the Christian leadership of your husband as His equal and as imperfect as He is, you are demonstrating in that moment the humble submission of Jesus Christ who gladly submitted to the Father by being made in the likeness of men, and being obedient even to the cross. As the heavens declare the glory of God, marriage was to serve as a powerful metaphor of Christ's love for the church. I'll give you just a couple closing remarks and we're going to sing. Several years into my marriage, I cannot tell you, I've, I've said this before, but I, I think it's important that I just be real with you. Several years into my marriage, I, I couldn't have been more selfish because I went into marriage looking for fulfillment and I wanted a savior, not a spouse. And my, wife, my, my marriage was crushed under the weight of my unrealistic expectations. I was a horrible husband. I became numb to my wife. And when I fell out of like with my spouse, I thought I've married the wrong person. Because, and that's what people think today. Well, I don't feel these butterflies anymore. I married the wrong person. Often what happens, then they marry somebody else because they feel the butterflies again. And they find out six months, a year down the road that actually those butterflies are gone too. Because that's normal. That's not love. Those feelings of electricity when the, the spouse touches your hand when you're first, the first time you hold hands, you know, that's not love. Not the kind of love that the Bible tells us to. That's romance. Okay? Okay. That's a different type of love. And those feelings they come and go. Someone asked Keller when he was being interviewed for this book, do you still get that feeling when your wife touches your hand? He says, No. And he says, I'm thankful. He says, but our love is much deeper now. It's a, it's a deep river, not a, a shallow creek. Covenantal love is so great. So I'm seven to ten years into my marriage, I was miserable. And I was, by the way a worship leader at the time and it was so bad that honestly I should have stepped down from ministry but I didn't because we compartmentalize don't we my ministry's fine but my marriage I I, I work on it but until I realized what this verse was saying here's the connection when you consider the ultimate meaning of marriage here's what I realized my marriage is not about me it's actually not even about my wife It's about Jesus. So when I come and I lead a worship song and I lift my hands and talk about, oh, Lord, we love you, and and whatever, you know, we're singing that day about the goodness of God and how much I want to worship Him. To worship you I live, and I cry and I tear up. And then I go home and be numb and cold to my wife. I I would submit to you, I am not a worshiper in that moment. Because worship is not singing. It's a form of worship. It's, an, it's, it's coming out. It's an external manifestation of what's on the inside. But he doesn't need our song. He wants our obedience. That's ultimate worship. So by me loving and adoring and cherishing my wife, here's what I realized. I am actually worshiping and cherishing Jesus Christ. And I got my eyes, it took me a little while. It didn't change overnight, but I took my eyes off me and my quote-unquote needs that were selfish and stupid anyways, to be honest. And I started thinking about my wife, and I started thinking about the Lord. And I did what I told you today. I started dating my wife again. I started buying her flowers and treating her like she was a queen. And an amazing thing happened is I started acting loving. The Lord worked in my heart, and I fell deeply, madly in love with her. And those feelings of romance came back, and they've come and they've gone. But that covenant now—me realizing the, the the seriousness and the strength and the steadfastness of that covenant—has been really life-changing for me. It's been life-changing for me. And when I was ready to walk out the door, and I thought this is what it's going to take for my happiness, I soon realized, since realized. That, was, that, was, that would have been to my demise. I wouldn't be in ministry now. Some other man would be raising my children. Would have, would have ruined me, honestly. There's redemption. If, you, if that's you today, there's redemption for you, okay? This is not the unpardonable sin, all right? But, I'm, but what I'm saying is this. I'm grateful because Nikki and I both would say we love the Lord. I'm grateful that we did what I'm preaching to you today. Not perfectly, but we just gave it a chance. We've been married now 21 years, and I love her more than anything. I'm grateful. I thank the Lord every day. I didn't just jet. Now, are there reason, are there biblical reasons to leave? If you're in danger, if your husband or wife is continually cheating on you, or what? Those are biblical reasons for divorce, and divorce is still heartbreaking, even in those situations. But if you're here today and you're married, and there's a struggle I want to just encourage you fight the good fight watch the Lord there is hope not just oh we're gonna make it and I'm but I'm gonna be miserable on this earth. that's what I used to think I'll just stay married because I know the Lord hates divorce no he wants you to He he gave you marriage for a blessing so don't be stubborn don't be like me I was stubborn for so long quit being stubborn give in submit to one another glorify the Lord realize this is about Jesus, not about me, and watch the Lord work. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If you're here today and you have been divorced or you are uh, in, in a situation right now where it's moving in that direction, I want you to know you are so welcome here. Uh, again, there is forgiveness, there is grace. Um, even if you got divorced for un biblical reasons all right um, there is redemption for you there is hope for you god can restore you but if you've been divorced you you know i mean it's these are these are wounds that take a long time to heal so if you're married don't don't take what the culture's carrying i'll just leave it'll be fine no there's deep wounds that will cost you single or married listen here it is Our aim today. You can't do anything about what happened yesterday. Here's the aim. This is it. My goal is to glorify God. And I hope that's your goal. Single or married, goal is glorify God. Okay? And you're miserable today? Here's what you do. Do what Paul said in the book of Philippians. If there's anything good, anything noble, anything trustworthy, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Quit thinking about the two little things that are wrong with your spouse. Meditate on the good and if you don't have anything else, meditate on what the Lord has done for you. Watch your life change. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. As I pray, we're going to sing, When I Think About the Lord. If you need prayer for anything today, single, married, doesn't matter. Whatever you need, and I would love to pray with you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, listen, you need to, you need to repent today and cry out to Him in faith. Profess Him as Lord. It'll change your life. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, in Jesus' name, I come to you, and I, Lord, just uh, thank you for your word that brings so much clarity in the midst of so much confusion. We thank you for the gift of marriage, and at Real Life, we want to be husbands and wives who are living for your glory, and for those who are single, we want them, God, to know that they are complete in you, and that they, too, can live finally for your glory. So Lord, let us receive this word today, whatever needs we may have, may we just run to you and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ or if you have questions about our church you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org.